0: Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my co-host.
1: Hey, guys, Becca.
0: And you know us. We're your friends. We're bringing you Found. It's the podcast where we tell you the stories behind the startups, and we do that with the help of the entrepreneurs who found them. This week, wanted to just remind you to please rate, review, follow, subscribe, word of mouth. Word of mouth is not a verb, but please tell friends all about the show. Tell them, just tell them, and rave about it, because it's so great. And if you do write and review, maybe we'll read it on a future episode, so do that too. Today, we have Cheryl Hoy from Tiny Health, which is the first direct-to-consumer gut health test, helping parents monitor and optimize baby's gut health from conception onwards. I apologize in advance for all the discussion of my own gut health, but please enjoy. Hey Cheryl, how's it going?
2: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's so great to have you here and we're excited to hear about your journey. I think the first thing that we should do, just because we like to set the stage for the listeners, is have you explain a bit about Tiny Health and what it is you do.
2: Yes, for sure. So Tiny Health was a company I started a couple years ago. From my own experience giving birth to my two kids, which I can dive into deeper later, but basically we are the first gut health test for babies zero to three years of age. There's a very specific measurement for that age range that's different from adult gut tests. So we are the first and the only one out there in the market right now. We also have a special test for pregnant moms or try and conceive moms and also dads and older siblings as well.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah. I think there's a lot more we can get into detail there about. I think I'm, I'm interested. This is just the first question that came to my brain. So apologies. I'm, I have vacation brain. I think... <laughs> We were talking before the call that you're currently in Maui, although you're working and uh, trying to have some relaxation time. I'm actually fully on vacation here, but I I wanted to come back to do this. But I haven't been doing anything as exciting as being in Hawaii. I've just been playing Pokemon on the couch. Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has their own idea of relaxation, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. Exactly. But the first question I have is like, does the gut health of the parent transfer to the gut health of the child? Is that a dumb question? I feel like it might be, but you're the expert. It is
2: not. And surprisingly, a lot of parents aren't even aware of this fact. So the baby, when they're conceived in the womb, they're pretty much sterile. There is some microbiome that transfers from mom to baby through the placenta, but very minimal. So when the water breaks during labor is when the sterile baby technically gets inoculated with the mom's microbes from the vagina tract. Mm. Um, so that whole vaginal delivery is really essential for the baby's lifelong health because the you know the colonization of mom's bacteria from the vaginal tract and then the, the gut microbiome seats the baby too at birth from the labor process. We think maybe the mom's pushing, some fecal fluid comes out and gets into the baby's mouth. They swallow a lot of fluids when they come out of the birth canal and may sound gross to you, but it's actually Great. really essential for, for lifelong health. And that's what I discovered when I gave birth to my, my daughter four and a half years ago.
0: Wow. Okay. So what then, do you want to get into a little bit of your personal discovery? Because I think, you know, I, I don't have kids myself, but it's not something that's come up with nieces or nephews before, but maybe... I didn't ask the right questions or maybe people were, like you said, like it can be a sensitive topic and it's probably not something that a lot of people are like, this is what I'm going to bring up around the holiday dinner table. Or something like
2: that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have my personal story to share. So I, both my kids were breached, which means upside down. They're supposed to come out head first. So when they're butt first or feet first, you may have higher likelihood of getting into a C-section. And that's kind of where the doctor kind of cuts your belly open to, to take the baby out. So as you can imagine, they're bypassing the, Birth canal and being born that way. So, when I was kind of faced with that probability, I researched what that would mean for her lifelong health. What a C-section would mean. I've heard that a C-section is not as good as a vaginal birth, but I I didn't know what exactly at the time. Right. So, being the entrepreneur me and the engineer me, I was researching and found all these papers that showed that a C-section born baby or babies who have antibiotics early in life, even through NICU and things like that, preterm. Babies have a higher likelihood of allergic conditions. It's called atopic march. Basically, it's a progression of allergic diseases that starts with eczema and then progresses into food allergies, which is quite common these days, unfortunately. That progresses Mm. uh, into asthma. Not always, but uh, the child who has eczema and allergies have a higher likelihood of getting asthma by around five to six years old. What's profound about this is that I found out that 70 to 80% of a person's immune system lives in the gut. It's dictated Mm -hmm. by what bacteria is or isn't there that may be protective to health or harmful to health, right? And this, because this is being passed on from mom to baby at birth and in the early days of breastfeeding, uh, their immune system is set up in those first 1,000 days. And when you get an allergic disease in early life, like eczema, it means that your immune system, when it's developing at birth or in early life, wasn't set up correctly to recognize what's friend versus foe right? So mm-hmm. your immune system is supposed to like adapt to environment and diets and recognize what's good and what's bad for your bodies. So when you have an allergic reaction to diet or environmental allergens and it's not recognizing it correctly, it's a sign that your immune system wasn't set up correctly. So it was really profound that although there is this association between the gut health and of an early, you know, early life gut health in a baby with lifelong chronic conditions like allergies, it's a sign that your overall immune system wasn't set up correctly. So it may lead right. to other chronic conditions, even autoimmune conditions, diabetes, just a bunch of other, you know, obesity, a bunch of other chronic conditions.
0: Yeah. Becca, do you have any personal experience with this? Or have you heard of this before? I'm just curious because it was it's new to me. But now as you're saying it, I'm like, this makes a ton of sense.
1: Yeah, no, I'm kind of feeling the same way. This definitely isn't something I've thought about more. But especially even reading before hopping on this call, just like how much more prevalent food allergies are today. And I know C-sections are more prevalent now than they were, say, 10, 20 years ago. So I never would think to make the connection to someone who doesn't have kids myself. I don't even have nieces or nephews yet, but it makes a lot of sense. I think I'm curious about, so you found this out, you knew this in advance before giving birth to your first kid. How did it go from those findings and sort of that discovery portion to kind of deciding to actually leap in, start a company and take that learning and to make it into a product. Yeah, it's all very related. So I found
2: that out before I gave birth. So I actually chose, rather than going directly to a C-section, a planned C-section, I actually labored and attempted a vaginal birth because I knew that just having that water breaking and releasing and kind of inoculating the baby initially would, you know, get some benefits. So a lot of moms are like, oh, I labored for 18 hours and ended up in a C-section anyway. They should know that that actually has some benefits to to the child. Mm. Mm. But anyway, I was like, oh, well, I screwed my daughter up for her lifelong health if I had a C-section. And then, you know, there's, like you said, it's a sensitive topic. A lot of moms feel guilty about it. You know, sometimes it's just unavoidable and it's the best situation for the child, which is in my case. But then I then was kind of like researching, well, what can I do to restore her gut health? Is there a way to restore her gut health? Right. And I found all these papers that said, yes, like the number one modifier or restoration for a dysbiotic baby gut is breastfeeding because the mom continues to transfer her gut microbes through the breast milk. Hmm. Scientists don't know yet what the mechanism of the bacteria transfer, how it gets from the gut to the breast milk and into the baby's mouth, but it does. And we can show that with our tests. So that's one thing, but there are other things I did like vaginal seeding protocol where, you know, after the C-section, you kind of like soak the uh, gauze with vaginal fluids and then swap the baby's mouth and face with the gauze the within a few minutes of her being born to mimic that birth canal to have her look more like a, a vaginally born baby. And uh, there's a follow-up study that shows that it does successfully mimic that birth canal route. So there are things you can do. And by one year of age, you know, there's something called a C-section signature when a baby is born through C-section or had antibiotics in early life. By one year of age, if that C-section signature is gone, that means the baby's gut would have restored and her risk for asthma would have been reduced by a factor of three to 4x hmm. so that's pretty profound to me and I'm like well I asked my doctors about it and nobody knew about it because it was kind of relatively new and then this, the second profound thing I learned is that groundbreaking academic research all those things I mentioned doesn't get to medical practice for maybe 15 years right. 15 20 years hmm. and as the parents who are you know we're all like relatively educated these days and we can read papers, open access journals. And I was like, I don't want to wait 20 years, my it was it'll be too late for my daughter, and my kids. So I want to take action and take control now. So anyway at that time I was just doing all the practices. I was looking for a gut test to measure as an entrepreneur, a, a product focused person we were drilled into thinking you can't improve what you can't measure or track, right? right? So I really Mm -hmm. wanted to track our, uh, you know, it wasn't easy breastfeeding, but I I really tried hard. And I was like, is this enough? Do I need to supplement her with probiotics? Have I restored her gut? You know, have I removed the C-section signature? And all I found was adult gut tests in the market, and none are Mm. catered to babies. And I kind of learned that an adult gut looks very different from a baby. So what's healthy in an adult is unhealthy in a baby and vice versa.
0: So it's not returning you absolute values? Like it's returning you versus a standard? Is that how, like, what are the results that you would receive
2: mm-hmm.
0: using those the adult test?
2: Huh, I'm glad you asked that. So in adults, like the three of us here, the higher the microbiome diversity, which means the different kinds of species, like the richness and the evenness of the bacteria species in our guts, the more robust and the healthier our guts are, right? Mm. But in a baby, you don't want high diversity. You want low diversity. So diversity in a gut is dictated by mostly our diet, but also like toxic cleaners we use and things like that, how much animal interactions we have, but primarily what we eat, right? Because we're feeding, you know, like we have 38 trillion microbes in and on us, When we're eating, we're feeding our microbes, essentially, right? So we have a pretty diverse, varied diet now as an adult. But a baby is only really taking in breast milk or formula. So their guts are really simple and low in diversity. In fact, formula feeding has been linked to a higher diversity, which Hmm. is then correlated with obesity later in life. So if a parent feeds their infants solids early, like you're feeding them baby cereal or solids at three months, Their guts are immature and they are, you're kind of forcing that acceleration of maturity when their guts are not ready and prime for that. And that causes chronic conditions. So, in a baby, you want the opposite. You want low diversity in the first six months, maybe even one year. And then, with solids introduction and weaning from breast milk, you want that maturation to be sort of following a track that is healthy for immune development. So there's a lot of science to it. And I I studied this. I'm such a geek. <laughs> i read so many papers. You can
0: tell you get really focused and like intense on a topic, which is great, a great quality of founder. But it's like, it seems like an easy answer to so many questions that have kind of loomed over the healthcare industry and specifically like juvenile healthcare, because- you know, like you said before, like, oh, what are all these childhood allergies? Why are all so many kids allergic to peanuts all of a sudden, right, mm-hmm. is one. But then also chronic obesity. You're like, what is, what's causing all of that, right? Like, it's not just U.S. diet for adults or whatever, right? Can't be. But isn't that, like, how did you go about validating the science? Because... It would seem to me like, okay, this is not so easy of an answer, but so convenient of an answer that it's almost too good to be true or to believe, right? So, and like you said, it's like breaking science, right? It's like science that is new as in the academic research phase. So how do you accelerate the time from academic research phase to product development and deployment?
2: I think it takes a startup like ours to do it, right? Because if you rely on government funding, again, this is a group maternal and infant care is not a very heavily funded cohort, Just because there's so much restrictions around maternal and infant studies, it's just a lot harder to get approval for those studies. So it takes a a startup like ours, frankly, to accelerate that progression and also education, right? There's a lot of education that it takes from consumer education to practitioner education as well. But, you know, I would say I would get this question a lot. Well, we hear that gut microbiome science is relatively new. It's like Mm -hmm. not proven yet. You know, how are you kind of validating this and things like that, right? So I would agree for adults. It's very complex. Like I mentioned, we're eating a very diet. It's hard to say, like, you know, if I take action from one sample to the next sample and these microbes change, these metrics change, if this is healthier than the previous sample, like the three of our guts, there are some high level indications of what's healthy and what's not healthy, but it's less obvious than a baby. So when a baby's gut is so simple, it's really easy to tell what should be their And what shouldn't be there, like if a baby had ninety percent is dominated by ninety percent unfriendly bacteria, like E. coli and Salmonella, Klebsiella, things that are antibiotic resistant, then you know that the baby's gut is too inflamed to in early life. So the signs for baby microbiome, especially in the first year, and I would say in the first three years, is quite solid and. I, my mind was blown away. How, how is this not a routine test? How is this not a thing in the OBGYN or a pediatrician's office? Because it's so actionable too. We have mm-hmm. genetic testing when we get pregnant, but you can't, you know, while it's important, you can't change your genes. It's You're inheriting it. But with gut health, you can absolutely change it through dietary, supplement, and lifestyle changes. So for me, I was like, after the birth of my daughter, I was pregnant with my son two years after. And this time, I was like, I wanted to measure his gut from birth. And even before that, I wanted to measure my pregnant gut. Because if the mom is passing on microbes to her baby, what if the mom's gut is dysbiotic to begin with? What if I had gut imbalances? Mm -hmm. So. Before I started fundraising for Tiny Health, I actually self-funded a study with nine moms who were pregnant around the same time I was, and I wanted to collect their vaginal and gut microbiome samples during pregnancy, seeing if that change over time, and then seeing how that correlated with the birth of the child and what microbes we detected at birth and every three months until the child was about two years old. So now all the kids are about two and a half years old. So basically I started Tiny Health a month after my son was born and, you know, we collected One year of data before we raised that seed funding. When I saw the results of my sample, I realized that I didn't have the gut microbes that are essential for my baby's health. So even though my son this time was born vaginally, after my daughter's C-section, I was grateful to have a vaginal birth. I didn't really transfer the right microbes to him because I... Because they weren't there. They weren't there. I, and then I right. was like looking back at my health history, I asked my mom, uh, I was born vaginally, but I had antibiotics in early life. And then I was also formula fed. So then I realized that, okay, maybe my gut wasn't great to begin with. I needed to know that earlier to fix my gut, technically, ideally before pregnancy, right? So I have time to make sure that I'm actually seeding my baby with the, the microbes that are important for his health. So that's kind of why we have a preconception gut test and a vaginal test as well, because this is actually important for prevention of chronic conditions. Now we have thousands of data with tiny health being live and we see that correlation if the parent's gut isn't great or their vaginal microbiome isn't great. It does kind of affect the child's gut, unfortunately.
0: Hmm. So you've talked about preventative steps you can take and then you've talked about sort of like immediate corrective action you can take. But is there anything you can do if your kid, like you said, kids now are like two and a half. If you are finding out at that point that perhaps they're not in the right state, is there any corrective action that can be taken at that point or or what can people do?
2: Absolutely. So mm. so here's where um, we often have to adjust expectations of parents, right? Uh, we do get a lot of kids now at three years old, five years old, seven years old with a lot of gut issues, a lot of allergies. We always say that it's never too late to test because, you know, knowledge is power of what's in the gut. We use shotgun-made genomic sequencing, which means we sequence all the microbes in your gut and we give it back to you like. So you can see Mm. you have X percent this bacteria and X percent that bacteria. So to know what bacteria, whether it's correlated with health or disease is important because you can still take corrective action. Now the zero to one H is where there is the most impact in frankly preventing or reversing certain chronic conditions because your immune system is still like flexible and is being created, right? It's being developed at that point. So the trajectory of impact is larger zero to one years of age. Beyond that, the window of opportunity just kind of closes a little bit more. What that means really is just that it takes more work for you to change like your gut microbes, the the community, right? So it's possible. There's just, you know, you have to be more disciplined about Mm -hmm. diet and supplements that you have to take and uh, lifestyle changes. Perhaps there's always a way to improve um, the gut health of a child or even an adult.
0: Yeah, I was going to say mine is like, I feel like, we were talking about Pokemon. Sometimes I pictured mine is just like filled with mucks and Grimers. If people know the various Pokemon, but there's just like poison Pokemon rolling around in my gut. I think my biome is in awful, awful condition. Is what I'm saying. And I would like to take, well, I, I mean, it's too late for me now, I guess, but I could. It's not too okay, late. Right. Like
2: it's. We have an adult test too. So uh, we started with the the baby test. And then what we found out is that families then are curious about like, oh, I have an older child, five years old. Can they take a test? So we created a toddler test or a child test, three to 17 years of age. And then the mom obviously tests the dad tests too. Now we have a lot of couples who aren't pregnant yet, but in the future, they want children, so they want to prepare their gut and their vaginal microbes, if you're a woman, for that future kid. But we have other people who are even like older people, like Grandparents who are taking the test, so it's never too late. You can, I can send you a test if you're, you're interested. All
0: right, I'm, I am curious. <laughs> am I might take a that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you might be surprised, right? Like a lot of, yeah, your gut is dictated by your lifestyle and diet right now, but a lot of it is also dictated by early life. Yeah, so yeah. if you were born, you know, and and everything was good at a time, it it has a lot of influence in your, your gut right now.
0: Yeah. This is like the thing where people are always saying like, oh, you should just eat dirt or whatever. Or your kids, are, it's fine if they like eat stuff off the ground. Because right. it's like, it's good for them, yes. right? I feel like I did a lot of that, but I can't remember if I was born naturally or via section Anyways, I'll figure it out. I'll text my mom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious because yes. you, like you just said, like you have tests that people take before they're even trying to conceive. People, it seems like, come... this question from like all different stages of the process and different stages of life even, how do you navigate making tiny health work for all those different groups, all those different use cases and sort of being able to kind of deliver the same results and service, even though it sounds like everything is going to just be slightly different.
2: Yes, this is quite key. And I think this is the power of our test. It took us about two years of R&D before we launched the first test to market. And we're still constantly improving it, frankly. So the test itself, the swab is the same. I wish I had a sample here to show you. It's like a Q-tip. Mm-hmm. It's a dry swab. And then you take a you sample through a soil diaper, which is easier. You're kind of changing diaper as a parent anyway, or soil tissue, toilet paper. And then you throw it into a prepaid return mailer, our lab gets it and sequences it. We get the data back and then we transform that into a report that's tailored to your age. So when you activate your kit on our website, you tell us your age and... We ask you a whole bunch of questions about your birth history. So, Daryl, you, you may have to go back and text your mom and ask how you were born because it is <laughs> quite essential to your gut health right now, how you were fed, just how, how many rounds of antibiotics you've been exposed to in the past, just your best memory. I know
0: the answer to that one, and it's a lot because I used to get earaches <laughs> all the time as a kid, so, yeah you know.
2: Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) But there's, again, if you've done the right things to kind of restore your gut, maybe it it doesn't look as as bad as you think. So yeah, we ask a bunch of health history questions and even current symptoms. Uh, What do you feel now? Do you have bloating or constipation and things like that? And then we tailor that report to your stage. So we've, we've done all that work in, you know, if you're trying to conceive, your report would use that language to kind of speak to you about your future baby and kind of like preparing your gut for your future child. If you're just a regular adult, we won't have that language. We try to, you know, really customize that report to that individual. So if you're a male who's not, you know, obviously not pregnant, then we won't use that language. So it would just be a generic kind of adult report and then babies, we would, you know, would obviously address the parent and how you would uh, help to improve your baby's gut health.
0: Cool. Yeah. Is it very, like, high touch or do you have that kind of formularized? Okay. It is automated. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's all automated. And the power of our tests that we haven't seen anyone in the market do yet is, I mentioned earlier that the adult gut is very different from a baby gut. This is the key and and no test out there has a proper zero to three years baby test because we customize our reference ranges even precisely from zero to six months old i think properly is, is seven months is when kind of the most babies stop taking breast milk, not all, but at the point of weaning is a huge shift in their microbiomes because they're now being introduced to foods and solids. So it shifts dramatically at that time point to very diverse, from very low diversity to high diversity. And there is a maturation progression, right? So we have our reference ranges from zero to about seven months, and then seven months till 18 months is, is a different range. And then, you know, 18 to three years old is a different range, three and above is a different range. So it's pretty precise, And we're constantly fine-tuning that with more data that we're collecting. So we have a huge machine learning algorithm kind of fine-tuning that and spitting out key insights that are tailored to that specific age group. And the reason this is important is because the changes are quite dramatic in early life and we want to make sure to catch. When I say reference range, it means that when you get a chart back, what is out of range, what is in range is ultimately what you would care about if you're going to improve your gut health. If I need this bacteria to be higher... What are foods that I can take or supplements I can take to increase this beneficial bacteria? If I have higher levels of certain pathogenic bacteria, like streptococcus or E. coli or whatnot, there are certain when you're eating solids as an adult, spices, certain natural supplements or, or um, herbs that you can take that are evidence-based that can reduce that pathogenic bacteria. Mm-hmm. And every I, would, I mentioned that everything that we do is evidence-based. I was that mom, you know, like being a Google mom and finding the solutions myself. But in my head, I was like, am I interpreting this paper correctly? Am I, you know, if I'm going to buy the supplement for my child or myself, am I doing it right? And I don't have the money to pay a functional doctor who charges $600 an hour to consult with me. So Tiny Health is kind of filling that gap where we are researching and we have a team of scientists and pediatric experts and nutritionists who are doing the research and putting that action plan for you. And we have all the citations on the action plan that you can click to see the the PubMed article for how this herb actually was proven to
1: decrease this pathogenic bacteria. Cool. Mm. I feel like that's good to hear because I was going to ask about that with this being such a education heavy type of product, because I know like for me personally, when you go to the doctor and you get a blood test back and it's just like the technical number names behind the different proteins and stuff, I'm like, Okay, like, I don't, <laughs> am I I don't right? know what any of this means. Like, cool, yeah. it's in range. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And what's
2: the goal, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm high now. Like, what do I need to get down 2% or is it 0.2%? Right. So we make that super clear. And we am a really product focused founder. So I still talk to users and I still do consult calls with users to see what they understand or don't understand to make the report really easy to read and interpret.
0: Cool. Yeah. So speaking of, so like, I do want to talk a bit about your founder experience. The product is super interesting, which is why we've been talking about it already for for half an hour. But I'm curious about like, you're, this is just not your first time being a founder, right? Is it at least second time, maybe third time? Because
2: Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Second explain, time.
0: Yeah, explain your entrepreneurial Yeah, history.
2: second time uh, f- uh, doing a startup, like a venture funded startup. Mm-hmm. I did start a nonprofit as well, which, you know, is kind of a, an actual nonprofit But that was some time ago, and and now this is my only focus right now.
0: Cool. So has it always been, like, have you always been entrepreneurial by nature? Was this something you always knew you were going to do? Or how did you get into it to begin with?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I started a bunch of businesses as a kid, you know, like, definitely had that trait, you know. You, you get lemonade lemons and you make uh, lemonade sand, yeah. the equivalent of that. Uh, since I was like seven years old, I, I've started like ventures, selling stuff to my, you know, uh, schoolmates, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so definitely I have that trait. The first company I started was out of New York when I was working there as a management consultant. And it was during the financial crisis, so mm. it was interesting. It was also when uh, the New York tech Community was uh, starting, you know, all the bankers and consultants who were laid off at the time. Feels a bit like we're going through that right, right now I was say, <laughs> as well. Maybe it's relevant yeah.
0: experience.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was like uh, what twelve years ago. So I, I left my consulting job to start my first company in New York uh, at a time and. At the time, it was like a digital wallet for daily deals. Mm-hmm. Now, with crypto, there's a different meaning to a digital wallet, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> but at the time, it was anything with kind of a virtual currency value, like Groupons and Living sh- Social Daily Deals. And eventually, we were going to go into coupons, gift cards, airline miles, and things like that. So that was the first venture that we eventually got um, acquired by Walmart Labs. Oh, nice. OK. Cool. In, in 2013. Yeah. yeah.
0: And how is that different from your second go around as founder? Is it late in the day? Do you look back at it and go like, wow, I was terrible at that? Or do you think like, oh, there were some things where I was way better at that, or maybe it made a lot more sense then or anything like that?
2: You always look back at your initial ventures and uh, feel ashamed, uh, you know, by it because I'm was-
0: ashamed of everything I've ever written prior to whatever whatever I write <laughs> today, and then I'm ashamed of that as soon as it's published too. But yeah,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that was such a long time ago, right? And I, I was a first-time entrepreneur. I didn't really know what I was doing, but certainly I learned a lot. And for my next venture, I knew that I wanted to do something much more mission-driven. Mm. My first venture, I definitely was still doing something that you know was a problem that I saw on my own that I was trying to solve. And this time, too, frankly, and I really like those ventures where you you have a keen sense of what that problem is that you want to solve in the world. but this time is much more much more mission driven in terms of noticing the rising chronic conditions in kids and why that could be, and you know truly creating a product that I think can improve the health of future generations. So a lot of our First hires people are really passionate and driven by that motivation. A lot of the influencers we work with on social media are super passionate mm. about that and they do a lot of free marketing for us frankly so it's very empowering too I, I think uh, I'm excited about in this company is it's something that I feel like is empowering parents and other people to take control of their own health rather than wait for the system to catch up right and so this time, I feel like it's a company I can totally work on for the next 10, 20 mm-hmm. years because I'm just so passionate about the science. Like I mentioned, I was geeking out on the science. So when my when my son was born and I started the company, I took a PhD level course in microbiome sequencing to understand the technology like I, from a university and I had to pick the right technology. And that's maybe something too technical for this podcast, but we picked technology that can be used for future research and therapeutics. Mm not something that's outdated. You may remember Ubiome, and now defunct gut microbiome testing company. And they really revolutionized the way gut tests has been done. It used to be in the labs and for clinical studies, and they really made it more consumer friendly. And they created the whole at-home testing gut test capabilities, right? But they went down under from leadership, unfortunately, leadership, corruption, and, and sort of, yeah, Misappropriation, but they were also using an older technology. That's uh, 16s is a little bit outdated. Mm. So I knew that I wanted to research, you know, what technology is being used in current research, academic research, that would position our company as, frankly, a data-driven company. So, yeah, we don't see ourselves as much as a a D2C or consumer company as much as we are um, a data company. And we we really want to make sure the data we're collecting right now can be used to advance research in the field and to create solutions for problems that we see today. So kind of going back to how I feel about this company, it is a much larger company than myself Mm -hmm. is how I see it.
0: Yeah, you mentioned scale, impact, and, and data. So this is something I've talked to before about people's particularly working in, like, I guess, areas of underserved, underserved health areas, like women's health a lot of the times, right, are saying, like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like, the research pools don't exist, right? Like, it, the studies that do exist are not done at scale. And so this is something we want to help with. So how do you do that in a way that brings in your customers and also doesn't, like, leave them feeling, like product because they're, you know, you're using their data for other, uh, you know, whatever care development or other courses of action.
2: Mm-hmm. Ultimately we have to build trust with the community and kind of establish really upfront with what we're going to do with our data. Mm-hmm. We, obviously we don't reveal any personal identifiable information. Everything is protected and we're HIPAA compliant. Everything is anonymized when we do analyze that data. Um, in aggregate, right, right, for insights, and not just to improve our insights in our reports to parents, but to leverage for future research. We actually just launched um, a research edition kit on November 1st. It's been about a month now, and it's seen a lot of success. So basically, it's an IRB-approved study which is an ethical board that approves all the studies governing things that you want to publish in a journal and people consent to it so once they purchase their kit uh, we give a little bit of a discount for people who are interested in that research edition they consent to a form where they can be entered into the control group if they don't have a condition that we're investigating so this one we're investigating childhood allergies Mm -hmm. because it's so prevalent So for those who select that they do have eczema or, you know, food allergies and whatnot, then they would be entered into the allergy cohort. So while there is some, you know, for for eczema and asthma, there's stronger studies backing a gut microbiome association with these conditions. For food allergies specifically, it's very limited. Mm -hmm. So we are pretty clear in our reports that, you know, we have this biomarker, but it's pretty weak. And so this research data that we're collecting will improve this, right? And we want to publish it. So when we publish data, we're giving back to the community, because when you publish data, you technically have to upload the data and someone has to be able to reproduce that. So yeah, we're kind of like giving back in that sense, or we want to eventually give back in that sense to improve the research in this arena. So the response has been amazing so far. We've gotten a lot of submissions from, or like, you know, people opting into consent to the study. So in the future, we see ourselves launching multiple studies for different chronic conditions, even adult conditions, you know, to again, like, show that we are contributing back to research.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think uh, I would like to participate in that too. So I, I'll look it up. I'll I'll opt into the research kit. But yeah, because I think, but I'll be put into whatever a control group, not a control group, but a test group for like bad tummy aches. Oh, tummy hurts all the time. Is that one? Is there like a...
1: <laughs> uh, not not okay, yet, but well, um, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know who to call when you start that one.
0: Yeah. What I'm saying is, I should go to the doctor.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, if you have GI issues, I think you should absolutely take our test. We we may, you know, we have a for adults more gut inflammation biomarkers. Or if you've heard of leaky gut? Right, right, right. Yeah, hopefully you don't have that. Well, but, hopefully you know. not. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you you that's the thing. I always believe that knowing is power because then you can take action if you're motivated to do so, which may mean eat less Pokemon snacks and
0: whatnot. Yeah. well, I, Okay. So that's true. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm of an age now where I can tell that like things going in make a big difference to what goes on with my body. Right. But like, uh-huh. I, I don't know how much, I feel like this is a, a, a problem that, you know, is not just my problem, but like, as you get older, you kind of wonder, is this, is this normal? Is this normal for the course of aging? Right. Like I'm severely lactose intolerant now when are that is not something that I've, already, and, and, you know, I've heard that does come with aging, but I'm like, how much, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is it, is it normal to be like, well, I guess today is a pizza day and I'll just deal with it and the pain that comes afterwards. Or is it like, this is something beyond, right? Which I'm sure, you know, comes up a lot when you're talking to people um, mm-hmm. about their personal gut health. Yeah. For,
2: for lactose intolerance, I'm learning too that it's, enzyme-driven, so it mostly affects, like, I think the Asian population has almost no, none of this enzyme, Mm. so over time, they do get lactose intolerant more so than other ethnicity groups, uh, apparently, but it is kind of enzyme-related, so, like, As to whether or not it's related to the gut microbiome, we are not sure. But other things like gluten intolerance Mm -hmm. is related Mm. to the gut microbes or um, celiac disease certainly is, for example. Certain food sensitivities, there's not a lot of research in that relating back to the gut microbiome, but... Part of our study is also looking into food sensitivities. So it's really interesting. This is a huge umbrella of gut-related issues that may or may not be related. But that's why I think this field is very exciting. There are some stronger indications like eczema and asthma certainly related to the gut. But, you know, as you get into intolerances, sensitivities, yeah, like all these kinds of conditions, we think there is probably, again, a correlation with early life immune programming that maybe wasn't set up correctly. And we hope to be that company that will give you more answers in the future. So if you take a a test now, everything is retroactive, Mm -hmm. kind of like, 23 me. as they come up with more insights you can see so for a child right like you you talk about changing diet as an adult so like oh i'm so set in my ways you asking me to eat more fiber or less junk food like oh like it's so hard to change an adult's uh lifestyle right. and habits but if you you are a parent and you are feeding your child your toddler foods you have the power to pretty much you know change that yeah. right yeah. and start So that's kind of why we think our test is so impactful for this age group of babies and kids. And as your parent, you're not yet a parent, but when you are, you will realize your whole life, you know, revolves around their health and their well-being in some sense, right? So you do change your own habits, too, when you have kids. So we think that this is a perfect segue, like a perfect wedge. We have much larger ambitions beyond babies and kids, Mm -hmm. but this is a great wedge to get into because parents are just so motivated And they're willing to spend so much money for the well-being of their kids and the health of their kids. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think it makes sense. And the branding can withstand that, too, because it's like the tiny just refers to... Microbes, yeah, yeah. So it's for everybody, right? So that's cool. Yeah, I think that's a smart place to start because, yeah, you're right. People, older people, are like me, where they're like, I care, but I don't care enough to necessarily do anything about it, right? But like, Mm -hmm. if it was my kid, in theory, right, I'd be like, oh wow, like, okay, this is really important. Like, I'm fine, I'm done, whatever, my time is over. Mm -hmm. But the kid,
2: well, you see it now, (laughs) but you know, when you have a kid. I am I kid you not, there's so many parents who came to us and tested their babies and then they're like, I'm curious about my gut too. They test their gut and then they're so motivated to change their own behavior because they're already doing it for their yeah, kid and yeah. they want to model it for their kid, yeah. right? So really, truly being a parent changes you a whole lot in many dimensions. But, you know, healthy living and eating is, is definitely one of them. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would buy this for my dog, 100%. Yeah.
2: <laughs> she's <has> such <laughs> yes. a
1: sensitive stomach and they just don't. The vet just like doesn't care enough to like look into what it is. And it's like, okay, well, she looks at a bowl of communal water and gets sick for a week. I'd love to know. <laughs> you know, we eventually we would
2: love to get into pet microbiome too. We can absolutely use the same technology. And we do know that households with pets, dogs and cats, particularly their kids have fewer allergies uh-huh. because they're being introduced to other bacteria that the dogs, you know, may go out and take a walk and bring them back. And creates that more robust gut. But then to make things more complicated, there are certain breeds of dogs that are better than other breeds. (laughs) Like Certain breeds of dog have more pathogenic bacteria than other breeds that you don't want, frankly, in your baby's Mm. gut. So we, we, I don't know, we, we want to eventually maybe launch a, a pet microbiome analysis because now we already show insights between family members. So what microbes came from dad, what came from the older sibling and whatnot, is pretty interesting. The whole family microbiome looks very similar. So you do influence each other's microbes, including your pets, right?
0: Wow, that's great. Yeah, because then you could easily sell that as like, like that's an additional, because <laughs> I'm sure families would be like, oh, well, like, I got to check the dog. If the dog is contributing to stuff, like I got to check the dog, right? Like that, that was... Yeah,
2: but you just can't imagine people like this abandoning their dogs <laughs> if their microbiome is. No, they, out, then they have to fix them.
0: Then they need correctives. For, fix, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. But then you need to get yes. vets. My brother's a vet if you want to hire him, but no, <laughs> he's already good. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's a whole different industry, frankly, that yeah. we have to get into... Yeah vets and kind of what supplements for for pets do we yeah. have to offer maybe that's a series b kind of a series uh, b or category. a partnership <laughs>
0: category or a spin yes. out maybe a spin out that might be the best for all yeah. involved but uh yeah very yeah. cool i yeah. i think this is yeah this is terrific technology and i'm glad you're doing it i think it, it's like it's something that i could answer these questions that i think f- Just continue to kind of bother people and just sit there and be like, "What? Like, what's the deal? Like, what has changed so much that is affecting the development of kids?" Right, and so any light you can shed on that is awesome. But really enjoyed talking to you, Cheryl.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I I had fun, and hopefully, you now know more about gut health than you did before. (laughs) Oh, I do.
0: (laughs) To my great shame, because now I have to go figure it out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to eat more fermented food. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, <Bert. laughs> All right, Becca, that was our conversation with Cheryl. What did you think about the chat and about tiny health?
1: Yeah. No, I thought it's such an interesting concept because, like, we're talking about sort of, you don't think about baby gut. Microbiomes, no. but everything she was saying were all threads that i had thought about before sort of more kids being born this way and more kids developing these allergies and just all this stuff aimed at adults now about just how much your gut biome affects seemingly everything so it's interesting to kind of hear that this startup puts all of those threads together
0: yeah i think i was trying to get at it in the show but i don't think i quite did which is like it almost seems like too neat an answer like it's one of those things where you're like oh, weird, we've had all these big questions for such a long time and this thing comes along and like claims to be the answer to all of it. It's almost too tidy, right? It makes you a little bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. But it seems Definitely. like that's why they're putting so much effort and so many resources into this education piece, which I imagine still is a massive challenge, right?
1: Definitely. And I think it's interesting, too, especially with what you just said, almost like a blanket solution to seemingly every problem that babies are facing and sort of can grow up into, Because I thought it was interesting that it's such a young company and it seems that it's trying to offer products for almost every stage of life, babies, kids, even adults and stuff like that, which is kind of uncommon for young startups like this, especially at such an early stage. But I don't know, I guess it's not as uncommon in the biotech space. And this is definitely biotech flavored. So maybe it isn't that weird.
0: Yeah, it's true that like, oh, you've got a product that can test for whatever is going on with the microbes in your gut or whatever. So that does apply across age groups and whatever, but it's not as simple as that because there's so much you have to do in terms of marketing and approach. And I think that we got into that a bit in our conversation, but it's, I think it's a lot more complicated than we were able to discuss in the time allowed about how you approach each of those audiences and discuss this particular thing with them, especially when you're going to have a lot of skepticism. Like we didn't talk about it that much during the episode, but I think there are people who think this is quite woo woo or whatever mm. to use a not great term, but that it's a little bit out there and that maybe it's a, a pseudoscience versus actual science, right? Like I'm not saying that that's the case, but I think there's a lot of demonstrated researched in support of it lately. But I think a lot of people still have that perception. And perception is kind of what matters when you're marketing to individuals, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're definitely going to get consumers who see some of the marketing as like, oh, well, you can change like the diet for your six-month-old baby. Like that's going to read very wellness and not very right. maybe health-backed to them because that would be pretty foreign, I assume, from a lot of the other stuff they're seeing.
0: Yeah, yeah. That combined with kind of like So there's trust in terms of how do I know that you're actually a science? And there's trust in terms of they have really big goals when it comes to making use of the data they're collecting. And HIPAA compliance goes a long way. Like the fact that you're HIPAA Mm -hmm. compliant has real, actual, actionable restrictions and requirements, right? But it's still something that you have to have massive brand trust with your users in order to get them to participate in something like that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you definitely don't generally see founders in the healthcare and health tech space who don't have that background in right. those areas. Yeah. And it gives you a little bit of pause. Of course, there have been healthcare health tech companies in that same position that have gone on to be really successful and really leaned into something correct in what they were trying to do. But definitely is interesting to hear because that isn't very common.
0: Yeah. And I think you mentioned, you know, she doesn't have the background of health, but she is a second time founder. So that mm-hmm. was kind of interesting too, right? Like that she took one crack at it. It seemed very much of like, a, this is popular right now. So let's like strike while the iron's hot kind of business to be in. And I think she said, admittedly, she was young and this is what was going on. And then Came back and realized it needs to be more passion focused. So, what did you think about that part of the discussion?
1: I thought that was particularly interesting because you would expect that kind of answer from someone who failed on their right. first startup, but like she did not. And she had sort of like a successful exit. So, it is interesting to hear her say that, but maybe it's kind of like what we've talked about in other recordings where being an entrepreneur, being a founder is such a tough job that maybe yeah. after the first time she was like, well, if I'm ever going to do that again, maybe there does need to be more passion behind it or more of a drive. To sort of dive into that. Yeah, dive into that again.
0: Yeah. And I think that was the one thing she demonstrated more clearly than anything else is that she has a deep passion for this. And is obviously like very driven to understand everything there is to understand about this area. Obviously because it affected her personally. But I think that is a huge asset in terms of building any kind of solution. Right. So
1: definitely. Yeah. She doesn't read serial entrepreneur, which in my opinion is a good thing because she does have the passion behind this. And even if she doesn't have the background, she definitely has the care and definitely seems like the intentionality that may make make up for in the end.
0: Yeah. All right, Becca. Well, thanks very much. And I think, you know, we'll hear from them in the future, probably when they just transform the world and give us all these long longitudinal studies about baby gut health and how it affects everything and it'll probably fix all the problems that the world is having ever mm-hmm. that's my long-term prediction so
1: you and i will hear back from them sooner than that when we get our results when we both do oh, these right. tests.
0: oh yeah no i don't actually want to do that i don't want to know i decided so <laughs> we're all right <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor, Daryl Etherington. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com. And you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.